It's good to be with you today. I am uh, grateful for the opportunity today to uh, to share with you. It's a, it's an honor, and uh, I was uh, I've been listening. I've uh, read some of your history online that you have on your website. It's really neat to think about the history of this congregation, and uh, I've been listening to uh, Josh's sermons. And uh, he is an awesome communicator, and uh, I think you all are really blessed to have him. He is a, a deep thinker. He meditates and contemplates, and uh, he says a lot of things I wish I would have said. So uh, I appreciate that. And I also want to give a little shout out to uh, your the Gary Swagger, your interim. He's a good friend, and. Uh, he has been, I, I've listened to some of his messages, and I listened especially to the one that he preached before Josh, the week before Josh came, and Jamie and the family, and wow, he was, uh, he, he's a prince of preachers. So uh, I just wanted uh, to say how much I appreciate him. And if you would turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, And some of you that are familiar with what I'm going to read, I just want you to know as I'm reading through this, I'm not going to be preaching what you think about this passage of Scripture. <laughs> Starting in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Shall we pray? Father, as we look into this passage this morning, I, I just pray that you indeed would give us insight and understanding. Help us, Father, uh, today to know the, the deep truths of your word. And Lord, I praise you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ's name is used in this passage four times, and I want us to focus this morning on exactly what it is that Christ has done. Uh, of course, the context, I believe, of this passage of Scripture is uh, verse number 32, and it says, the mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Uh, that, that context is used metaphorically for how husbands and wives relate to one another, and those mutual responsibilities, but I want us to focus on these four times the Scripture uses uh, Jesus' name 
here. And uh, I, I want us to think about this morning, and I'm sure you've thought about this along the way, but uh, one of the problems we face in this society is the worldview of the church. And I'm not talking about a biblical worldview for Christians. I'm talking about how the world looks at the church. And uh, it's, it's inaccurate, it's misleading, and it's pluralistic at best. And at worst, it sends the message that sows the seeds of complete confusion and distortion. And I'm talking about the world's view of the church, not the Christian worldview. However, sometimes those of us who are a part of Christendom confuse our understanding of, the, of church, and the confusion comes with regard to the difference between the terminology that we use on, with the word church and how that word relates to a local congregation. Uh, in, uh, in his book, Letters to the Church, Francis Chan says this, We've strayed so far from what God calls the church. We all know it. We know that what we've, uh, we're experiencing is radically different from the church and the Scripture. For decades, church leaders, like myself, have lost sight of the inherent mystery of the church. We have trained people sitting in the pews to become addicted to lesser things. It's time for that to change. When Jesus returns, will He find us caring for His bride even more than His own life, our own lives? End quote. I, the definitions, I want us to think about that for a moment. The definition of a congregation, and, and this is my definition, is a group of people that meet on Sunday, that do good works, and meet to make themselves feel good, and pay their dues. And I'm not talking about tithing, specifically. But the church of the Bible are the called out ones. The ecclesia, those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who have become a new creation and are the bride of Christ. That's the true church. And you know, in the old days they used to say, they used to ask one another, have you seen the church? And we don't use that terminology. It's kind of archaic, I guess, in our, uh, the younger generations. But it's really, uh, freeing and it's really amazing when we come to that point in our lives where we see the church. Where we, for the first time in our lives, uh, get a grasp on what it really means to see the church of God of the Bible. I'm not talking about the church of God Anderson. I'm talking about the church of God of the Bible. And when we see her, the bride of Christ, it changes our lives. It's revolutionary. And I can tell you in my experience, I grew up in a little uh, brethren church, country church, and uh, of course they were... Uh, they weren't Arminian by any stretch of the imagination. They had uh, uh, a different, different background uh, theologically. But my point is this. Uh, when I was 18, 19 years old, somewhere along there, I, I had some friends that introduced me to the Church of God uh, in our small town of Connellsville. And the reason they introduced me to that church was I had... Uh, they were starting a bus ministry, and I had uh, license to be able to drive a bus. 
school bus. So uh, that's how I got introduced to the Church of God. But one of the first things I can remember uh, starting there to the Church of God was the preacher talking about uh, God's church and how freeing that was when I started to realize that all those years growing up, I didn't grasp what the true church was. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't uh, understand that the Scripture said in Acts that the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. That's true. That's the true church. And that's true church growth when we see people getting saved. In fact, we should be alarmed today in the life of the church. And I tell my people this because we get alarmed sometimes, you know, if, uh, sometimes if the attendance is, uh, you know, it ebbs and flows and, and um, some people get all worked up about that. I said, we shouldn't be concerned about that. We should be concerned about whether souls are getting saved when we see them in our church. And I'll tell you something, folks, that's what we're lacking today in the life of the church. But when you think about this passage of Scripture, and you think about what it says with regard to Christ and His relationship to the church, that's what I believe is fantastic, and it's revolutionary to think about it. And the first point I want to make is this, Christ is the head of the church, verse number 23 says that that He is the head of the church. When we surrender to Christ, we will want to allow Him to be the head. We will desire Him to be the head. The head of us. The church. Congregations that don't allow Christ to be the head, but they allow sin to be the head, and they allow sometimes man rule to be the head of the church. And I want to give you one example. I'm going to try really hard not to name this denomination, but you'll probably get it when I uh, start. But uh, in February, I think it was, they they have a uh, uh, general conference every five years, if I'm recalling correctly, and they've been dealing with for five years, they've been debating and battling over sexual ethics and what's right and what's wrong. And uh, I just read this in, uh, in an article regarding their decision that they made. Of course, I've been kind of trying to uh, keep up with that, but this, is, uh, this was an article regarding a, uh, uh, I guess, a review of the decision their, their uh, general conference had made. And it says this, it's a petition for declaratory a declaratory decision from the 2019 Special Session of General Conference regarding the constitutionality, meaning, application, and, excuse me, the effect of the traditional plan as mandated, as amended, I'm sorry. The traditional plan in this particular group was to uh, keep the status quo and not bow to the liberalism of the, uh, the sexual ethics that they are promoting. Am I allowed to say that? Okay. You're not going to walk out or anything. So here's my point. And I, I read through, there were 20 pages, and I'm not going to go through all that with you, but I was picking out words. Now, I didn't necessarily read this document word for word, but I scanned it. And I want you to see, because there's no greater example of man rule than what I'm uh, sharing with you, 
uh, when review, when reviewing an act of the General Conference for constitutionality, judicial, the D- Judicial Council applies a severability test, and it talks about legislation, legislative powers, uh, the book of discipline of the uh, UMC Church. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not want to be disparaging of them, but I am saying that there's a problem in life, in the life of the church with man rule. Uh, they have a statement of facts, declaratory decisions, 21 interest of parties delegated to the General Conference filed separate and joint briefs. Does it sound like we're in a courtroom somewhere? Uh, pursuant to the reference under the Book of Discipline, uh, and it goes on to say, when the General Conference enacts a legislation that contains unconstitutional provisions, constitutional infirmity, and this is, this is the icing on the cake for me right here. The principle of legality demands that all decisions and actions by official bodies and their representatives be based on and limited by the Constitution and the Book of Discipline. Can I tell you what the Book of Discipline is for the Church of God of the Bible? This is the Book of Discipline. It's not a Book of Discipline that uh, scholars sit down and come up with over hundreds of years. It goes on to say that uh, the guide, to guide their actions, individuals must be informed with specificity and clarity as to what is prescribed and pres- proscribed by, the, by church law. They're talking about their church law. They're not talking about the Bible. In fact, that 20-page document, if I'm recalling, and I understood it, I didn't see one place where it mentioned uh, a, a verse of Scripture. I didn't see one place where it mentioned anything regarding the Bible. Now, i got to tell you something, folks. That's man rule at its greatest. And I don't mean that in a good way. It's sad. What we need is this today. And I, when I say the, the church, I'm talking about Christendom. I'm talking about us, how the world looks at us as we call ourselves the church. Uh, in 1901, D.O. wrote this song, Back to the Blessed Old Bible. And I'm sure many of you uh, know the words to this song, but I especially want our young people to hear these words because they're as uh, relevant today in 20, 2019 as they were in 1901. Back to the blessed old Bible, back to the city of God, back to the oneness of heaven, back where the faithful have trod, back from the land of confusion, passing the wrecks and the creeds, back to the light of the morning, Jesus our captain leads. Back to the blessed old Bible, back to the light of its word, be on our banners forever, holiness unto the Lord. Back to the blessed old Bible, saints of Jehovah rejoice. Jesus is calling His people back to the land of their choice. Often our fathers have sought it while in while we in Babel abode, and that's talking about the land of confusion. Now we have found the fair city, church of the living God. And you understand there's two more stanzas, but I think that suffices. You get what I'm saying.
sometimes when we say back, you know, people that are progressive, they think that we're barbaric and they think that we're wrong for, for looking back. Some of the greatest understanding we can have is from looking back so we can, can move into the future. Usually professional sports teams, when they're losing, what do they do? They go back to the basics. They forget all the fancy stuff and they go back to the basics of their learning and their understanding. The second point is this, Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Verse number 25, Jesus paid the price. We are a new creation when we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And listen then to verses 26 and 27, uh, that He might sanctify her. That means setting us Christians apart for the work of the kingdom, for Jesus Christ, that He might sanctify her by washing of water with the Word, so that we might present the church to that He that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I got to tell you something, folks. When Jesus comes back, if we're still here. Those that are going to be caught up in the air with Him are those that are without spot or blemish. Those that are living a holy life. It's not going to be just whatever anybody thinks about it. It's going to be the saved in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God makes us holy and that we're set apart for Him. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. Verse number 29. He nourishes and cherishes us. The church of the living God. His body. The bride of Christ. We are His. Those of us that have given our lives to Him. And I know that sounds exclusive. And I know that sounds that's not the, the popular thing to say. And I understand that. But I'm telling you folks, There are people dying and going to hell because they have been taught something that's contrary to the Word of God. They have been taught things that simply aren't in the Bible. The Scripture says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I don't know how much plainer it can be than that. There's no doubt there are people in our lives that we cherish. The word cherish uh, as a verb means to protect and care for. Uh, someone lovingly to adore, hold dear, love, care very much for, feel great affection for, dote on, be devoted to, revere, esteem, admire, and then uh, to hold something dear and also to keep a hope uh, or ambition in one's mind, to cherish. Cherish. Christ nurtures and cherishes those that are His. Think about it. He dotes on us. You know, when we aren't able to dote on ourselves, He loves He loves to dote on us, I'm sure. And the Scripture says He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And can you picture sometimes when Jesus is maybe talking to the Father, and I don't know how that all shakes out in heaven, but uh, I'm sure there's times He's doting on us. 
And he's pleading for us. And he's expressing his love for us. And then Christ and the church are one, the scripture says in verse 31. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You see, there is one body. And those that body are those that have given their lives to Jesus Christ, that have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. Does that sound exclusive? Absolutely it is. Because if Christ died for any other reason, it was cheap grace. It wasn't worth Him gone to the cross for. You see, He paid a very heavy price to save us from sin, to save us from dying, to save us from a spiritual life of death. That's why He went to the cross. And sometimes in our pluralistic society, we like to talk about and think about all the things that, uh, you know, there are some groups and, and some denominations, they think that you can live however you want to live and do whatever you want to do. And then when it comes to the end of the road and we breathe our last breath, they think that everybody's gone to heaven. And I'm sorry to say, that's just not biblical. It's just not what the Bible says. There is one body and one spirit. And when you think about all the different groups and and denominations and all the people that, that profess something, in God's eyes, there is only one body. Think about it. One body. One bride. If we... Uh, you know, there are some places that in the U.S., if a man marries more than one woman, that's illegal. That's a problem. So there's only one bride that Jesus has. Those that He saved. One bride. And that bride, she is spotless and without blame. You know, there's a reason in our day, generally speaking, I know things have changed a lot. There used to be uh, some some tradition uh, when we did weddings. Now it's kind of like uh, a free-for-all sometimes. People kind of do anything. They get ideas from other weddings. They Google it. You know, there's thousands of ideas on, on the Internet. Uh, but my point is this, generally... Uh, the bride wears white. And it's a symbol. It's a symbol of purity. It's a symbol of the bride saying that I am yours to the groom. I, I can say, uh, Judy and I have been married, uh, let me see, 38 years in August 1st. And I can still remember though, when, you know, the doors opened in the back of the sanctuary and, and there she stood. And uh, I try to uh, encourage couples to 
try to uh, capture that moment and never forget it. And you know, sometimes when we when these things are happening and the 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 wedding, it's really kind of like a whirlwind. And you come on Friday night, you do the rehearsal and uh, go to the dinner, and then Saturday everybody's getting ready, and it's like a mass confusion. It, it appears to be. And uh, sometimes it's hard for the bride and groom to just really uh, contemplate and really savor those moments. You know, it only lasts, you know, 20 minutes, a half hour to, 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 to direct the rest of their lives. But my point is this, there's nothing greater than that moment when the groom sees the bride for the first time in their wedding dress. And I'm simply saying this, that's the way Jesus looks at us, but we're the ones symbolically wearing the white dress. We're the ones that Jesus saved. And the Scripture says He purifies us, that we've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. So think about when Jesus comes back, not to set foot on earth, but to come back uh, in the last day. That's when the culmination of all, all this that we've been learning and taught in the Scripture is going to come together. And it's going to be a culmination of all those things and all those years of, of trying to understand uh, the Scripture and the truth of the Word of God. All those years, think about it, in the Old Testament there was, uh, I don't know, depending on uh, the, uh, the people you listen to theologically, four to 6,000 years of the Old Testament. All those years of, of all those uh, sacrifices, animal sacrifices, and all that mess, I can only imagine what that was like when they were sacrificing day after day after day in the temple. But it was pointing all of that, and this is how it's, Human beings are wired, I guess. It took God four to six thousand years to teach us about Christ coming. Because that all symbolized Christ. And then, of course, we are looking back on Calvary, but it's difficult sometimes for us to grasp the teaching of the Word. We have people today that talk about, you know, they're, they're red letter preachers or Christians. That means they only preach and teach what Jesus said. They act like the rest of the Bible doesn't mean anything. And i got to tell you, the, the Old Testament is just as true as the New Testament. And the Old Testament is just as relevant as the New Testament because the whole Old Testament was pointing to Jesus Christ. The Scripture says there was one sacrifice made once for all, Jesus did that. Out of all those years of sacrifice and uh, animal sacrifice and all those years of the priests working in the temple and, and all those years of all that stuff going on, it all pointed to Jesus Christ once for all. It's really important we understand that. And it's really important we grasp that there's one body it doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't matter that there are those that are, are proclaiming and, and uh, professing something else. There's one body. I love it, you know, when people, they, they have their ideas of, 
how things ought to be, so they try to find a, a sentence here or a sentence there in the Word to try to prove their point. One body, one, one flesh, just as a husband and wife become one flesh together, so we are with Christ. Just as this passage of Scripture that we are examining is used to show the beauty of a relationship between a man and a woman in holy matrimony, the underlying context is the relationship between Christ and His true church. The church of the living God, the church of the Bible, the church that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. When Paul was leaving uh, the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, the Scripture says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained, and some versions say bought or purchased, with His own blood. Keep watch. We are mandated as Christians, to keep watch. We are, as Christians, mandated to make sure we are, uh, if I may say it this way, guardians of the truth. I'm not saying we in the Church of God movement have all the truth or we have a corner on it, but I am going to say this, we have a lot of it. That might be a bold thing to say, but it's true. You know, I used to tell people, I used to talk a lot about uh, Church of God doctrine, and I meant Church of God Anderson doctrine. And I had to realize something, that uh, people didn't really get what I was saying. So I I changed my uh, terminology a little bit, which needed to be changed anyway, to the Church of God of the Bible. Because that's the truth. The Bible is the truth. The Bible is our guide. The Bible is our moral compass. Uh, there's too many people today, unfortunately, listen to the, listening to some of the people that uh, are on The View, you know, or they're listening to the Gospel according to Oprah or Joel. You know who I mean? There's only one gospel and one truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the light. He's it. I've always said, you know, Christ made it easy for us, huh? There's only one way. There's not a bunch of different ways that we have to choose. It's just choosing... That one way, choosing Jesus. And when we choose Christ, our life's never the same. I'll tell you what I long for. I long to see people come to altars and and give their hearts, surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. But then, you know what I want to see? I want to see them stand up totally different people. I want to see their countenance different. I want to see them have a different attitude in life. Just some weeks back, I don't know how many weeks now, three or four weeks, uh, 
maybe a little longer. We had a, a husband and wife that, uh, yes, I have two pair of glasses. That's what happens when you get 60. Just let me tell you this. Uh, I got a new pair of glasses back in August, I think it was, and they, uh, you know, everybody said how great progressive lenses were. And so I got them, and uh, basically I wasted $200 because uh, they're a mess, and uh, I can't see very well out of them. And to read, I have to go like this, and there's just a little sliver at the bottom. Uh, anyway, and then it's hard to get down steps because, you know, everything's blurry, and I've uh, tripped a few times. Uh, anyway, what was I saying? I forget now. What? About what? A husband? Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Thank you. I got it now. Uh, we had this uh, a couple, they're probably in their uh, late 40s, uh, early 50s. But anyway, they, uh, they've been coming to church for probably a year or more. And they came to my office one day and, you know, we talked. And the lady gave her heart to Christ right there. And then the husband, he just wasn't quite ready to make that uh, decision. But uh, a few weeks later, man, we started the altar call, and he was the first one there. And he's like, I want to give my life to Christ. And uh, it's just been amazing to see the change in them to see them just soaking up like a sponge, you know, the Scripture and and understanding. Because that's what God does for us. You know, the Scripture says that uh, unspiritual people can't understand spiritual things or discern spiritual things. It takes a surrender to Christ before we can start to understand. I'll tell you one more thing and I'll be done. At our church, we have a big uh, digital clock back on the sound system. So, you know, it's in red letter, red numerals, so I can see it and have an idea of when to quit. What time is it? What time do you usually stop? Okay. Uh, when I accepted the call to ministry, is this my water? <laughs> it's full, so it must be. I promise I'll quit. When uh, I accepted the call of ministry, I ran for like 16 years. I knew at a young age I was supposed to be a preacher, but I just didn't submit. And honestly, I was living in misery in my heart every day of my life because I didn't surrender to the call. And so... I went to an altar and uh, I surrendered that day. I told my pastor I've been called for years. I just hadn't submitted and on and on. And uh, So that night, back then I was a truck driver. And that, that day I left after church. I was, I, at that particular time, I, I was hauling chemicals. And I was going to Belleville, Ontario. And I got there that night and uh, I don't know, it was really late. But the funny thing was uh, I always carried a Bible with me. I never read it, but I carried it. You know, it was in my briefcase. So, 
you know, I parked that night at this uh, factory and I thought, well, if I'm going to be a preacher, I probably ought to start reading the Bible. So, uh, Psalm chapter 1, i got to tell you something. Instantly, I knew what it meant. And I'm thinking, wow, I was so wayward for all those years. But that's the difference of what God does through Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's how we, I'm not saying Scripture at times isn't difficult to understand, but I am saying this, that through the Holy Spirit, He helps us. He helps us, and He, in the struggles of us understanding, and we work and we grapple with and we meditate and we think about and, and contemplate, and, and God starts speaking to our hearts. You know, He wants us to struggle. He wants us to work at it. He wants us to, to labor to understand Scripture. There's nothing better in this life than experiencing the, the church of the living God. No greater experience on this side of eternity. Would you stand with me? Father, we praise You today. Thank You, Lord, today for Your blessings. Uh, Lord, a great experience in this service, I believe, and and what we've experienced today. But, Lord, it's about You. And, Lord, especially in this moment when we wind down to this point, I pray, Father, You would speak to our hearts. Lord, if anybody today needs to to come to these altars of prayer, no matter what the need, but especially, Lord, if there might be some here that's wayward, I would ask, Lord, today in the name of Jesus that You would speak to their hearts, that they would be willing to step out and, Lord, surrender their lives to You. And then, Lord, those that are brothers and sisters in Christ would embrace them and encourage them and uplift them. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come this morning. If-